Hi, this is Ruben Fleischer. I'm the director of Gangster Squad. I'll be talking to you today a little bit about some of the behind the scenes things that went into making this movie. Um, I'm alone here in the booth, so you'll get to suffer through me for two hours, but uh, I'll try and give you a little insight into how we pulled off this film. Every man carries a badge some symbol of his allegiance his with the scars shot this uh, with the phantom and uh, 500 frames a second the set was actually upstairs from the sopsy maxi set in the warehouse in bellflower and uh sean's an amazing boxer i think he used to train as a kid and it's pretty impressive pounding that bag his name is Mickey Cohen. So a CG shot that was done by Crazy Horse when we were effects houses. It's entirely CG. Um, using real photographic elements, obviously the Hollywood land sign doesn't exist anymore, so we had to recreate that. This is a callback to Bella Lugosi. A lot of, I think, the younger audiences didn't get the reference, but um, Sean does a pretty good Bella Lugosi impression at the beginning of this. Coyotes are a very tricky animal to shoot with. They're incredibly skittish, and uh, that's why there are only two shots of them. You belong in the booby hatch. Originally, we had a different scene to start the movie. The narration came as a uh, something we found through editing. There was a scene that introduced Frank Grillo's character that will be on the deleted scenes. Um, and it was a different way of starting the movie, but it set up why this guy's being ripped in half. Um, and I guess you guys can debate which version works better, but. We were really happy with this one where we kind of set up Mickey as a boxer and establish he is an opposing force to Josh that hopefully they will meet at the end and trade blows. You tell him that Los Angeles belongs to Mickey Cohen. One of the great joys of making this movie was getting to shoot in some of the iconic locations in Los Angeles. And Union Station is one of the most beautiful uh, pieces of architecture in the city. And uh, it was really nice to start the movie with it. It really takes you back in time. And just being able to shoot in such a big location with so many extras and getting to see the world on such a scale really helps transport the audience back to the period. This guy, James Haber, who plays Racine, uh, was a real find. He just, I don't think we could ask for anyone better as far as the snaky kind of uh, pimp. And Amber was awesome as well. How are you doing? It looked like he's going to give her a bad time in there. O'Mara, for Christ's sakes, that's Cohen's place. Nobody goes in there. I don't want any part of this. Go get an ice cream. This uh, apartment building, this is a set right here that they're walking down, but the exterior and the lobby are practical. And um, so this is a practical lobby, and then when he goes into the room with the guys, it's a set that we built on stage. We used very few sets on this movie. We did it almost all 
and practical locations. I think we shot over 55 practical locations in LA. But what's pretty neat about the lobby of this building is that when we were scouting it, we had a really hard time finding the right look and feel of the apartment building. And uh, we finally found this one we liked and then our location manager told us that it was the actual home of where the Black Dahlia lived at the time that she was killed. So it was kind of neat to have a real connection to LA's sordid past. And uh, it was those types of things where we tried to like really find the real places to um, inform the movie. And that was just a happy coincidence, but uh, kind of a dark, dark coincidence as well. But it fits this, the tone of the scene perfectly. These guys are stunt guys, uh, Racine's buddies, but they both did a great job uh, with their performances. And it's always nice if, nice if you can a cast stunt guys to play the actual roles instead of having to double actors. I mean, he takes his fall pretty good, uh, James does, but the two other guys, you know, they, they give convincing performances, but then once the fight starts, Josh could really let loose on them because they're so good. And, and Josh is like a stuntman himself. He did all of his own stunts in this fight. He doesn't have a double at all. And if you just watch the choreography here, you can really see how impressive Josh Brolin is physically. He's a force to be reckoned with, to be sure. We wanted Omer to have some sort of advanced fighting skills. He was part of an elite squad during World War II, and so he, in real life, uh, some of the elite forces in World War II were trained in jiu-jitsu, and so that was kind of his fighting tactics that we saw there. It was the strangest thing. I rested well, and next thing you know, lickety-split, he escapes. Oh, really? He overpowered you This again? was a uh, set no. that we found in downtown L.A. It's a... Uh, he sure did. It's in an office building, and I think at one time was an office, but somebody told me they shot Cagney and Lacey here. Um, it definitely has the feel of an old police station, but I'm not sure if it's a practical office or more of a set that, you know, different productions use. Boys. We were really happy to fill the cast with the... Uh, amazing character actors and jack mcgee's just somebody i've loved for so long yeah, i mean you can ask for a more perfect lieutenant quinn cannon and that was one of the great things about shooting in la is that we had 65 speaking parts in this movie and if we'd been shooting on location we'd have to cast more locally and being able to draw upon the talent that's in la to come down for a day was really a joy and jack's a, a true talent who just looks like he's stepped out of one of those 1940s you got that new black and white movies. The parking lot, following the rules, boss. Two things you can't take back on this job, kid. Bullets out of your gun. This is a real line that uh, one of uh, our writer, Will Bill, was a cop. And when he was in the academy, that's something that somebody told him. And uh, he was really proud to include it in the script because uh, the words to live by when you're a police officer, I guess. This was the real city hall steps but uh they were under construction across the street the new park so any of the reverses that you see especially that tilt down are all cg we recreated the street exactly how it was in 1949 putting in the hollow records there 
um, but entirely CG replacements time. to it doesn't look anything like it now but looking this direction that's all practical it's a little house in Koreatown that we found we love the kind of classic California bungalow uh, look and feel. This is Marae Enos's screen debut, big screen Mommy, debut. Uh, you probably know her from The Killing, but no. we're really proud that this was her film debut. She really has a incredible warmth and I think dimensionalizes Omera in a great way. Uh, you see him in a different light with him, when he's with his wife. Uh, he's not the hard-boiled cop anymore. You see him as just a a good guy and I love the relationship uh, I think this scene especially captures their tenderness and you see both sides of the coin with Josh put the hurt on this poor girl this was a uh, actually built on a stage this this bathroom the two the two big builds that we had were I think you've seen them now the big fight scene and then and then this bathroom and her hallway and bedroom. Um, but everything else, I think, for the rest of the movie is practical that I can remember. Too much, your demon in the sack. But I don't need a hero, Sarge. I need a husband. So you do not have permission to go belly flop on a grenade. Not when we're expecting company. Do you read me? This was a tough scene to score, but uh, as you'll hear throughout the movie, I think Steve Jablonski really captures the emotional quality of the film very well and uh, also the menace as you can hear in this scene Cohen has his own theme and uh, you kind of know every time he steps steps on the screen that something bad's going to go down Sean um, I can't even I don't know where to start and talking about Sean just getting to work with him was such an incredible pleasure he's truly one of the all time greats and uh, brought so much to this role and to the character and to the movie he was an incredible partner he's one of the smartest people I've ever met his instincts are uh, you know unparalleled and definitely um, was really instrumental throughout the shooting and even through posts in terms of helping shape the movie. He's just a great partner on the film and I love his performance and characterization of Mickey. I also really love the way that this looks right here. Just how much shadow and darkness and the texture and the colors, his red, the green, um, the really warm light. Um, you know, I can go on and on about the technical crew that supported me on this film. Um, first off is our production designer, Maher Ahmed, who I've now worked with three times in all three of my movies. And he's just incredible. And this movie, I think, is a real showcase of what he can do. Um, so many of these incredible sets and uh, worlds just turning the back of the clock are are testing to him. I want to talk about this shot. This is our quote-unquote Goodfellas shot. It's, uh, you know, we found this location in Bellflower, California, and it, the exterior, uh, Maher did an incredible job bringing back to life. It was kind of like a dilapidated old store with an incredible deco front. And so we, we redressed this whole side of the street and then built 
the set that, that Ryan's going to walk into on location. So we had an actual practical exterior interior, which if we'd built Slapsy Maxis on soundstage, we would never been able to do this. Um, that opening shot, though, where we get to see the whole street, about a quarter of that is real, and the rest of it's all um, CG enhancement, you know, trying to recreate Wilshire Boulevard at the time as well as we could but all the movie theaters on the right and pretty much everything in the distance was a matte painting again done by crazy horse who are just incredible if you uh, look at photos of some of the classic clubs of the day like the macambo or ciro's we really use them as a reference point for the look and feel of the interior of this club and unlike a lot of uh period movies that just want to you know, desaturate the world and make it look gritty and pull the life out of it in a sort of sepia quality. We wanted to make the world as rich as it actually was. I mean, the 50s was right after the Depression and World War II, and, um, you know, there was a real excitement in L.A. and the, the country, and that was representing the lavish interiors, the clothes, the cars, the music, everything was just coming back to life. And so with Slapsy Maxis, we wanted to feel really lavish. And as it's Mickey's club, uh, it would be a reflection of him. And, you know, the colors are kind of gold and green, which we associate with money and I think are probably two of Mickey's favorite colors. I love the drapery. I mean, just the scale of this, having all those extras in the background, a real band... Um, it was an incredible thing to get to shoot in this location. It felt like we were truly in um, in the period. Troy Garrity, who plays Ravik, doesn't have a line in this whole movie, but uh, I like to call him the Boba Fett of Gangster Squad. He kind of steals every scene he's in. He's got this menacing quality, but he does it all without a word. As you can see in the tables, I think this was a kind of a neat detail that our production designer, Maher, came up with. Who's the tomato? All the tables are lit. They all have lights in them. Cohen's and uh, the tablecloths act as kind of the, must be nice. the screens. And so we were able to actually light the scenes um, in part with all these tables that that are luminescent, which was a really nice... It not only looks great in the film, but it also serves a practical purpose. Emma and I, this is our second time working together. We worked together on Zombieland, and I just believe in her so much. She's one of my favorite actors and favorite people. Her ability to do comedy, and then as I think she proved in The Help, and again in Gangster Squad, take more dramatic turns as a... She's really evolving as an actress and as a woman. And people forget how young she is and how new she is to acting, but she's really, I mean, when you see her walk through this room, you just appreciate her development. And I like to think her of as uh, kind of Diane Keaton for this generation in terms of her ability to do anything. But Sylvan Stapleton, an Australian actor who I saw in Animal Kingdom and kind of loved him in that movie. Um, he's I really felt strongly about having an American cast for this American film. And Sullivan was the only kind of foreigner that slipped through the cracks. He's just a 
got a quality that reminds me of the 40s and that tough uh, exterior and his accent's pretty impeccable. It's one of my favorite shots in the movie. Slit in that dress is a testament to the talent of our costume designer Mary Zofries, who, among other things, has designed the costumes for every Coen Brothers movie from Fargo on. She's also worked with Spielberg and been nominated for Academy Awards. And this dress that she designed for Emma, I think, is so dramatic and beautiful and glamorous and really evokes Rita Hayworth and. Lauren Bacall's uh, outfits of the time. And Emma's certainly never looked better. But my racket is, uh, I'm a Bible salesman. You want to take me away from all this and make an honest woman out of me? No, ma'am. I was just hoping to take you to bed. The scene features my dad. You can't really... You can hear him, you can't really see him. He's that guy holding the camera in the background. Uh, I was bummed we didn't get a better pick view of him, but I'd, he was an extra in the 30 minutes or less, and uh, it's nice when he comes around the set and gets all dolled up for the f pictures. This is supposed to be the Bunko forgery unit, as if uh, O'Mara kind of got demoted after... Uh, his antics. He'd like a word with you, but uh, I don't know if anyone really caught that. Officer Gates. We were really pleased to get Nick Nolte in this film. I think that he adds just a gravitas and a, you know, he has that. Uh, who, when you have these strong group of alpha males, that is a gangster squad. It's hard to think you could actually be at the helm of them. And Nolte's kind of the ultimate person and he was incredibly sweet um while on set worked really hard cared a lot about doing a great job and you know he's someone i've been loving watching in movies since i can remember so it was really an honor to get to work with him this set is actually in city hall i think in part because uh the city was proud of the factor in making a movie about los angeles they really extended open arms to us and uh, gave us, I don't know if they gave us the keys to the city, but they certainly gave us a lot of access. And so this uh, room is a conference room that's right next to the actual mayor's office in City Hall. So we kind of took over the interior of City Hall for a day. The mayor would stop in, in between meetings and kind of say hello and watch what was going on. And um, it was... I mean, it just feels like the real place that it would have been for the police chief. Um, you know, that marble fire case, the seal of Los Angeles. The only thing that's not real is the view of the city outside the windows. Um, we just basically had a white view of the sky, and so we put a map painting in there uh, showing kind of the Hollywood Hills uh, outside the, the window. And drive that bastard out of this city. Yes, sir. There's a few one-shots in this movie. Uh, some are more conspicuous, like the one that goes into Slapsy Maxies, but this one's a little bit more subtle. It's kind of nice when you can get the whole scene in one shot, um, just because it feels like a real moment. And uh, this, this one, if you just track Marae's performance and her face over the course of this shot... You can see the transition from 
you know, just kind of happy to this real concern. And I'm really proud that it is a single take because you can watch how talented she is and see the transition she makes as an actress and uh, and see just how great she is. We don't have a lot of handheld shooting in the, the movie. This is one of the few scenes to actually feature handheld camera work, which always adds sort of like a added dramatic tension to the scene. And of course, because this is an argument, it seemed to, you know, ask for handheld, but I'm not sure in the end if it was the right decision. It's It's a little conspicuous to me when I watch it, but... Hopefully no one else feels that. Sweetheart, look. The war is over. Marie's just so good. What she brings to the table, uh, I never could have guessed, but she's uh, she's the heart of the movie on so many levels. I need your help. This is another one shot coming up. Um, originally we conceived the scene a lot differently, tried blocking a few ways and couldn't get it. Hey, Sometimes this happens on set where you're just trying to, you might picture the scene one way in your head and over the course of rehearsing with the actors it just um, finds its own way. And so for this one we uh, committed to doing a single take and I thought it would be easy and save us a lot of time but it took like 23 or 24 takes with a lot of different versions. So we have many great versions of this single take and it was hard choosing the right one. Um, it definitely evolved over the course of the the every take. Okay. It got better. Try different lines. Try different moments. No sometimes the lighter would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. Um, There's a lot of variables. But uh, again, this is a really nice one to just appreciate two actors in the frame doing what they do, uh, not having to rely on editing to, you know. Ooh make a performance you get just get to watch a performance naturally and well there's nothing flashy with the camera work it is just a you know a nice moment tender moment between these two people um and you can really see ryan and emma's chemistry and their relationship as clearly as possible because uh there's nothing manipulating it it's just the actors bring their characters to life We, we get compared a lot to The Untouchables, but I think um, both our movie and The Untouchables owe a lot to The Magnificent Seven and uh, The Dirty Dozen. A lot of these yeah. movies that have squads or teams assembled, and uh, this is the beginning of uh, the classic kind of recruitment montage where we meet uh, the members of the Gangster Squad for the first time. I actually really love this sequence. I think... This is, for me, when I'm watching the movie, when it really comes to life, when we start to get the squad going and start going about our mission. Um, this was shot in a bar called The Mint in Los Angeles, which is actually from the period uh, and retains sort of a period quality. We, we had to dress it up a little bit to make it look uh, as authentic as possible, but um, a lot of this was there. It was meant to be a uh, obviously a burlesque club of the era, and uh, we had a lot of fun researching uh, the actual burlesque clubs of the times and the dancers. 
and we had an amazing no? coordinator for all of our dancers in this movie. She handled, um, you know, the strippers, Carmen Miranda, all the dancers in the club, the dancers in this scene where we're going to see next with Anthony Mackie. Um, it adds a real authenticity to the film. This was Ryan's first day of shooting and uh, our first chance to see Omer and Wooters together and I think uh, really does a good job of establishing the dynamic between the two. But it was interesting that their first scene meeting in the movie was our first scene of shooting with the two of them together. the sheriff of Central Avenue, Coleman Harris. It's a really neat old club. Uh, I think it's on Pico. I don't remember the name of it. But uh, I was watching Pretty Woman over Christmas on TV, and there's a big scene in Pretty Woman that takes place in this same bar. I was kind of surprised to see. Anthony's just one of the most uh, impressive actors I've worked with. He went to Juilliard and is so classically trained that as soon as you call action, I mean, he's just right there in it. But in between takes, he's like the most lighthearted and fun and funny and just, you know, awesome dude to have around. But he just transforms on a dime into character and he's so um, on point that, you know, he can, he can really do anything and take it anywhere. And, uh, I, was, I learned a lot watching him just because he is so measured and so technical. He's a he's an incredible talent and inc just awesome in action too. What? Oh no! Why not? Because no, you can't just pull some guy out of a. It's another little one take. I mean, nothing fancy, but it's always nice just to see the two people. Murray came up with this punch that just sums up their relationship in a great way, and I always laugh when I watch it because. Just love her. Max now, Robert Patrick, I, boy, I just was so lucky to get to work with this guy. I'll, I'll be honest, I think uh, it took a while for me to figure out that Robert Patrick was the right person for this role, but um, I couldn't have gotten luckier. That He's the sweetest, most positive, supportive, uh, hardworking, committed actor you could ever hope to work with. He's, um, you know, everyone knows him from the Terminators, Terminator 2, but uh, it's been a long time since then, and he's just evolved so much as an actor, and he's got such a perspective on the business and acting and everything, and I'm truly grateful for getting to know him as a person and getting to work with him. Giovanni is another actor I've admired for a really, really long time, and I, he's always interesting in everything he does. He's just a, makes everything more special and better um, by being a part of it. And so I couldn't be more proud of this, the, the cast that we assembled. I didn't mention Michael Pena, who was in the scene with RP, but he, he's somebody I work with on 30 Minutes or Less, and it's impossible for me to think more highly of an actor than Michael. He's... He can do anything. He's as funny as anyone in the world, as any comedian. And when it comes to dramatic stuff, there's no one better. Um, he's just a incredible guy. All of our all of our cast is like every single one of them are as good uh, as anybody out there. And the I truly believe 
every single cast member we put in this movie is the very best person we could have had for each role. You know, this, a brighter future, this is what we fought for. This was it? a fun scene. The idea was that there's people on the roofs celebrating the launch of this missile and lighting fireworks because it was such a big deal to see a missile go up at the time. It was really revolutionary. I don't know if that was fully captured, but uh, that was the intention. Shot this in downtown LA. Another Fleischer family member gets featured in this scene. My brother is uh, the third reporter with the mustache. This guy, I was really glad to have him star opposite Sean Penn in a movie. It's pretty cool. And Sean, I think, thought it was cool too. He really embraced him. He comes from a family of performers, so I think he thought it was really neat that Luke was in the film and was really nice to him. This is one of my favorite locations. It's a actual old movie theater in downtown LA called the Tower Theater um, that we transformed obviously into a restaurant. We put the bar in the back, um, but the walls are like that. It's a really ornate theater from a classic movie Palace era. It's not a two of a kind night, kid. It's grim. And it's just so rich and lavish. We want it to kind of be the opposite of Slapsy Maxi's, whereas Slapsy's is really modern and bright and green and gold. This we wanted the old school kind of red velvet chandeliers and marble trying to draw the dichotomy which you know Polito discusses in the scene of uh, you know the old versus the new you're not one of us and trying to draw Jack Dragna the old uh, the older Italian mobster as a being very different from the upstart young Jewish mobster that is Mickey Cohen. Smart mouth. Where it counts. And John Polito is another just amazingly talented actor who I've loved for so long in so many amazing Coen Brother movies. Um, Miller's Crossing, I think, is my favorite gangster movie. So I was really happy to get to include Mr. Polito in this cast. And you go and you poke Chicago in the eye. He's one of the most funny, charismatic. Um, pleasant people to be around and just has incredible chops so this scene was just so fun we went at the table read uh, there was such a spark between Sean and John Polito that we kind of decided to write the scene longer which doesn't usually happen but because it was so much fun watching these two together we actually lengthened the scene so that these guys would have more material to chew on. And uh, I love Sean in this scene. I mean, he really takes it to the next level at the end of this uh, sequence. And John is uh, an incredible adversary to, to Sean on screen. You are gonna wake up one morning. I remember we did like seven takes with Sean for this moment and uh he's like yeah let me just try one more and i want to try something and uh when he goes off at the end of this it's the final take we were all just like blown away like literally jaws on the ground and uh actually before i was even able to call cut one of our producers mike tadros who put this whole production together 
But at the end of this performance by Sean, Tadros actually said out loud, Whoa! <laughs> On set before anyone had called cut just because he was so blown away by the performance. I mean, that's the thing about working with Sean Penn. You have access to one of the world's greatest actors and the intensity and the... You don't mess with this guy. He's just so incredible. I can't say enough times. I give Tadros credit for pulling this movie together, but I think it looks as good as any movie out there. Just the amount of locations and the way we're able to recreate period Los Angeles. Right now, our only advantage is that he won't know who we are. So I have only one rule in this outfit. Leave these at home. We're not solving a case here. We're going to war. That sounds good to me. Take it easy. I'm, I'm on your side. Who the fuck is this guy? He's a huge pain in my ass. I think this is when is. we start to get a sense of the fun of the squad and the humor of the squad. A lot of people were surprised by how funny this movie is. And I don't know if it was designed that way, but certainly my instincts lean towards comedy. And I think um, all these guys, in addition to being great actors, are actually pretty funny people. And so... I think it couldn't help but inform the film in a way, but I think it adds a lot of life to it and makes it mess, great. This was shot under the Sixth Street Bridge. Originally, we were supposed to be in the L.A. River uh, underneath the Sixth Street Bridge, but um, the Dark Knight was shooting down there, and so we couldn't. So we brought it up to the street level, and it actually worked out better because you get that long perspective with the bridge in the background, which uh, I think is more cinematic in the end. Shut this out in Thousand Oaks. This was supposed to be Burbank, like a Riverside casino that Mickey Cohn actually had in real life, uh, hidden in a stable. Um, and it really was true that uh, because it was so close to Warner Brothers and Disney that a lot of extras would come and gamble in between scenes. They would go sneak off to this casino in costume. And so while it's kind of lost on the audience and it seems kind of weird... It was a fun detail of the period that we thought was really cool but didn't necessarily explain. So it may be a little confusing why there's like gladiators and cowboys in this thing. Um, but the idea was that they had all just wandered off of uh, their sets at Warner's and, Bert and Disney and uh, made their way to uh, this casino. And uh, it's being protected by the corrupt cops of Burbank, which the real-life Mickey Cohen really did... Uh, run his operations a lot out of Burbank. This was really neat to shoot though, just the integration of the real horses and it looked incredible with this fog that rolled in. It was a real fog and uh, backlit. It just looks so incredible. So the old police uh, station that's now the LA Police Museum in Highland Park we shot the exterior and interior at this place. We had to kind of um, create the jail cell to make it work for our scene. The sequence I think is probably my favorite sequence in the movie. It's because the way that the action and the, and the comedy plays, it's just, um, there's a lot of tension, uh, ticking clock, and I love the flash frames in the jail cell that we'll see in a little bit. In the 
concept of the movie, this was really when the squad starts working together as a whole. Also, I'm really proud of this sequence on, uh, which we shot in uh, Hollywood. This is on Cherokee by Bordner's. Bordner's is a real bar that was around in the period and uh, still stands today. The Cabana Club, we, we created that exterior, but Bordner's is a real place. The inner cutting, it wasn't scripted this way, but we... We had a. We found this through editing. I think it works really well as far as just working between Cohen's world and Ryan's world, and showing Cohen's control over the streets of Los Angeles and how, while he's just calmly dancing away, his plan to hit on Dragna, um, which Ryan and Pete get caught up in. Listen. You can see in the background uh, over Pete's shoulder the Musso and Frank sign actually too, which is neat. Musso's is one of the oldest restaurants in Hollywood. Uh, it is the oldest restaurant in Hollywood from 1917. And so it was neat to get to include their neon in our movie because it actually would have been there at the time. This kid Austin Abrams is a, was a real find. He's a, he plays Pete the Shoeshine Boy, but he's just a, I think the emotion and just the intensity of the scene and being opposite Ryan Gosling. I mean, he brought a maturity and um, an authenticity to the character. It's funny that we cast him, he was like really little and the four months between when we cast him and we had to shoot, I think he grew four or five inches and his voice dropped an octave, so it's kind of funny uh, the transition that he made, but he's he's awesome. I love Los Angeles. I love it. Again, Troy Garrity as Rebic. You know, we wanted this slow motion sequence just to kind of extend the moment. Uh, if it had real, been in real time, you know, it would have all played out so quick. I don't know that we would initially appreciate the fact that he's trying to kill Dragna and that Pete gets caught up in the crossfire. He misses his real target, which is Dragna, but then Ryan uh, steps in, sees, uh, you know, that his buddy's been killed, and then, as was scripted, the long sleeping cop that's been inside of Ryan comes to life. And um, we finally see his emotional turn. Uh, he's now got a personal vendetta against Cohen. He sees because of his uh, inactivity that you know people he cares about are being hurt. And that's what kind of allows him to finally join up with the squad. You can't shoot me. You're a cop. Not anymore. I love the score on this. This is a Jablonski at his best. Just raises the stakes on everything and makes it feel operatic and huge. And um, that combined with the slow mo, it makes this a really intense and epic sequence. We did this um, effect kind of stay with Ryan in terms of uh, the world being a little skewed at that point, which I think 
Because it's a really pretty subtle visual effect, but it it helps and looks cool. What's the matter with you? Stop it. Whose blood is that, Jerry? Huh? You know that two shine kid? They killed him. I'm sorry about that. You gotta screw your head on. So I remember this was a set that we built on location so that even though this wasn't the real bathroom at Slapsy Maxi's, we built this set at the Slapsy Maxi's location. Burbank cops and had two of them. Cohen sent some guys over there now. And I think the paint was still drying when we shot this. They'd, it was a real last minute kind of change that we did that. This is the real Burbank jail. Uh, at the Highland Park Police Station, but we built this jail cell also on location. So normally I think you'd probably build this on a set because the window had an inside-outside quality where we needed to see Robert Patrick through the window and connect Anthony. Uh, we actually just built this on location. And luckily, because it was a jail, they had uh, some bars in their windows that we were able to take advantage of. What the hell are you doing, hop along? Sure to be a yeah, I love this sequence. This is uh, for sure my favorite sequence. It just you see the the squad coming together. That's kind of firing in all cylinders. Uh, there's tension. I love the music. I love the the way it all looks. Kind of dark, mysterious. And then once the action starts, it really has some fun twists and turns. Why don't you get off your fat ass and get me my prisoners? The dumbest thing I've ever seen. You're the one that got pension. I'm the dummy. You got here awful quick. Yeah, well, Mr. Combs and our cinematographer Dion Beebe uh, won an Academy Award for Memoirs of Geisha, but also yeah. shot Chicago, yeah, don't worry Nine, Miami Vice, Collateral. Kind of can do anything, and I think this movie really reflects that. But the, the visual quality of this film is yeah, just so rich and lavish and textured and it's full of shadows and light. Hold it! That guy's bullshit! When Will wrote the script, he, de he described this uh, sequence as if it was lit like uh, the strobe light from the muzzle flash lit the scene like panels in a graphic novel and I wasn't really quite sure how to represent that but we came up with these still frames and uh, it was really fun in post finding the perfect muzzle flashes to extend those things for six frames to kind of make a heightened moment of each one and I'm really proud of that I haven't seen that anywhere before and I think it has a really nice quality let's talk a little bit about Will Will Bill our uh our valiant writer who so basically the way this movie came together was that the LA Times wrote a series of articles about the real life gangster squad Paul Lieberman was the author of those articles and it told the story of these cops that uh, were charged with taking down Mickey Cohen in real life they didn't actually take Mickey Cohen down for anything except for tax evasion so we used the articles as a starting point to come up with a very fictionalized retelling of the story and you know filled it with car chases and shootouts and um, you know fist fights and everything that makes for a fun entertaining action film it never aspired to be a documentary about 
the real life Gangster Squad. It was always a fictionalized telling. So Dan Lin, uh, who's our producer, read those articles and sold them to Warner Brothers with the idea of making a movie of them. Partnered with Kevin McCormick, who was our other producer, and together they hired Will Bell to write the script, which was, as I said, a really fun, kind of heightened version of the real-life story. And um, Will was a police officer in Los Angeles for 10 years. He worked for a while, I think five years as a black and white, and then five years as a homicide detective, dealing with the modern gangs in Los Angeles and uh, South Central and other parts of L.A., he wrote a novel about his experiences called L.A. Rex, which was optioned for a screenplay by Scott Room, and he wrote a script of that. And Gangster Squad was only a second script he'd ever written. It was on the blacklist. Um, and they hired uh, me to direct the movie. I had to really fight for the job. You know, I w after doing two comedies, I wasn't the most obvious person to helm this movie. But um, but they, they gave me a shot, and... I was able to, you know, assemble this great cast because we all love the script and uh, thought it was so interesting and obviously such a love letter to Los Angeles and a story that had never been told is about Mickey Cohen. You know, he'd been featured in a couple other movies, but never as the sole villain. So it was really neat to get to put this movie together. But Will, you know, is just an incredibly talented guy and used so many... Gonna be. Amazing moments in this movie that uh, I love. So I'm just very grateful for the opportunity I've worked on this and to work with such talented people uh, in front of and behind the camera. This uh, was a former Burmite factory in the valley. Yeah, I just love the look of this scene. Uh, I think that this movie has a real Western quality to it. As much as it is a gangster movie, I like to think of it kind of as a western in a lot of ways and definitely you know the magnificent seven was a huge influence in officer Gioni movies and i think this one scene kind of has that feeling and quality and look of a western which is really cool we can hear everything he says one of the clubs no his house i love this location this was this incredible mansion in beverly hills as to how we were able to shoot here i don't know but uh I mean, it was just one of the most beautiful homes I've ever been in on a, with an amazing view of Los Angeles, an incredible piece of property, gardens, pools. Um, the homeowner was incredibly generous to let us use, use his house for the film. All these scenes that take place in Cohen's house were actually shot on location at this beautiful mansion, which was great. We shot the whole exterior of this bugging in one night and it was a lot this was a tough this is one of was a really tough night of shooting trying to figure out how to fit it all in we actually didn't finish all the work and so there's a couple shots in here i couldn't even tell you which ones where we had to finish the scene on a stage so that's definitely in the real place and that's in the real place but we had to some of these shots of giovanni i remember we had to pick up on stage because we didn't finish our day which sometimes happened when you're movie making going so get out now get out 
This was our kind of like our heist to Mission Impossible sequence in the movie. We tried with each of the action sequences to give them each a different flavor. Um, and this is just one of those classic heist scenes where you're worried that someone's always going to come around a corner and find you. In this case, Emma Stone does. I find this moment incredibly charming between these two. And Giovanni gets a big laugh right now uh, with the audience's reaction. Gangster Squad is an incredibly fun movie to watch with an audience. Hopefully you saw it in the theaters. But uh, it's a real crowd-pleasing movie, and um, it's really fun to get to see a film where you hear the audience cheering and laughing, and, you know, you can hear the gas set, some of the more intense, violent moments, and the uncomfortable laughter that follows. And, um, you know, you make a movie for audiences, and this is one that always just played so well in the theaters. Like, we did three previous screenings with, you know, 450-person audiences of just general public, and every time it just played like gangbusters. It was really fun. It's nothing. It didn't look like nothing. What the hell is this? Where's the pickles? Hey, guys, guys, I just heard something Where's the pickles is the line that we put in an ADR that... To this day, I'm not sure if it belongs, but it makes me laugh when I hear it. It's, it's up all the way. I can't hear anything. Yeah, I think they're leaving the room. Oh, come on. Yeah, they left the room. Shh. Where? We need to know where. Where? I don't know. I don't know. I'll keep listening. I know a guy who can tell We shot this incredible chase sequence. It was a foot chase across rooftops and up... Uh, back uh, staircases and it ended with a really climactic crash through a, uh, a uh, skylight that was featured in a lot of the commercials and in the trailer but over the course of editing it just uh, was a little awkward because it uh, it's a foot chase that goes right before a car chase and while it's got an exciting climax with the crash of the sunlight it uh i mean the skylight it kind of um it was just two guys running and i was bummed because it was one of anthony's really big scenes and he's so great and that guy deandre bonds who plays the drug dealer is awesome but um and it, and it was a cool visual sequence and hopefully it'll be on the dvd but um yeah, unfortunately just didn't make it into the finished version of the movie, which I feel bad about. Now this car chase is something I'm pretty proud of too, just because it's a uh, combination of practical shooting and a combination of green screen. And as you're watching, I'll point out like what's real and what's fake, but basically... Our second unit director, Terry Leonard, went out and shot this simultaneous to while we were shooting the movie over, uh, I think they had seven or eight nights to shoot this car chase. And so they did all this exterior of the cars. They did all this car-to-car -car stuff, um, as well as some of the uh, driving with Michael Pena, Anthony Mackie, and Robert Patrick's car. So pretty much all this is real. But anytime you see Josh, Ryan, and Giovanni's car, all their shots were on a green screen. They never actually left a, a stage for this. Um, so 
While Anthony, I think this is all practical, obviously, because Michael's, that's really Michael jumping out of the car and getting in. That's all real. Whenever we see Josh's car, that's just on a green screen and all the road and everything in the background is put in, in CG. Or visual effects, I should say. And we also use these, you know, all those high angle shots. There's, we've seen two already, but this is our third. This is entirely CG. So those cars, the world, everything is CG, but then it hinges and combines right there with a practical shot. But all those high angle shots, uh, Hammerhead, who is our visual effects company, they um, built those entirely in post and the cars and the, the, the ground and the hills and everything were all done in a computer and they are CG. Now this is where I'm talking about Josh Ryan, Giovanni, that's all on a stage. They never left uh, the safety of a green screen, even with the fire. We just did it all on stage. It was pretty neat. When I pitched the movie, I said I wanted the car chase to kind of look like a Fast and Furious car chase, but done with 1940s cars, which I don't think we've ever seen before. Um, but in so doing, you, gotta, you know, we had to really actually destroy some gorgeous period cars. So in this chase, we we destroyed two Cadillacs and uh, this truck too. Got super damaged, um, you know, because these are real uh, stunts. And you know, that thing really did roll down a mountain and those cars really did blow up. So it was kind of a shame that these gorgeous vintage vehicles got destroyed. But that's the cost of movie making. We shot this up in Griffith Park. Um, that was a map painting of the city landscape. Back in the 40s, all their lights were white lights. Now we have those sodium vapors, which are orange lights. So it was really important whenever we see the city that all the lights are white, just to help remind us that we're not living in the modern period. And so we had to replace all the lights that they see in that big shot at the beginning with visual effects. Those squibs on the legs, we didn't, we, we used a lot of digital blood in this movie. We didn't use a lot of practical squibs. And those two leg shots, I think, are the only real squibs in this whole movie. Everything else is almost all digital. There are those white lights I was talking about. This was another one of those scenes. We actually had to make it seem like night behind Ryan in a couple of his close-ups because um, the sun had already started to come up and it was blue. We shot this at like, this whole scene I think we shot between like four and six in the morning. We had to figure out kind of the nature of the scene. It was a, it was a tough challenge, but uh, we got through it and I think Ryan's really great in this scene. work, Jerry. Get in the car. <laughs> Mr. Cohen, sir, I. Uh, Johnny. His uh, name is Johnny Coyne. Has just one of those great faces. He looks so good I'm in this sorry, movie. I... And Sean's pretty scary. He hears theme coming back in again. We know that somebody's gonna get it. There's trouble waiting for poor Grimes. Well, these things happen. And this was a line that we came up with on set. That you know oh. the drill. You know the drill. It was pretty funny uh, at the time. <laughs> I don't know if it plays, but uh, 
I thought it was funny. You know the drill, and then here comes the drill, and he gets it. This was visual effects. That blood splatter there was all done in post. That transition to the hamburger got a really big laugh in theaters, which was always really fun. And might be considered a little tasteless, but it's funny to me. Come in. Mrs. O'Mara? Please, Connie. Jerry Wooters. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. What'd you bring? It's a neat scene to shoot Very just because I think there's the only time that Ryan and Murray are together in the movie. And, uh, you know, they're both so fun to watch and so talented actors that it's neat to see them get to interact. Josh and Murray had an incredible chemistry and dynamic and were kind of all their scenes were together. So to get to bring Ryan into the mix added a nice quality. And I think, you know, on it. I and audiences really enjoy getting to know Connie, tell him that she put the squad together. My husband's the bravest man I know, but he is not much for abstract thinking. Honor and duty are as real as I am. This was a practical location we found in Koreatown. It had this old, authentic, original 40s kitchen, which was really neat to get to feature that oven in the background. and. Well, that's a nice way to put it. A hand and everyone loves a potato salad. I don't know where you came from either. Check it out. John's a lucky guy, Connie. Look, you know what? You should get your wife a Cadillac. Mm. How's your love life these days? The scene where Ryan and Emma get in a fight originally came before the scene, so Ryan is playing kind of a funk, like he's in a funk, Jerry's down, because he'd just been in that big fight with Emma. But often through the process of editing, scenes get rearranged. You kind of reshape the movie throughout editing. So I always felt kind of bad to Ryan that, that you know, his character is in a certain place and he no longer is in the movie, but those, those are the breaks. Sometimes the way it goes. Kid Josh Pence, who plays Daryl Gates alongside Nolte, I think is going to be a big star. He's just a really committed actor, uh, really cares about it, and obviously has a great look and has a great presence. So I'm excited to see where his career goes. I believe he's going to go on to big, big things. We did a ramp on this shot where... As he's walking forward, we go from real time to slow mo to start this montage. What was originally conceived as entirely slow mo. The shot's one of my favorite in the movie. We we uh, I love the movie Old Boy, and while this isn't nearly as complex as the Old Boy uh, horizontal tracking shot, it's kind of a nod to that in terms of just moving alongside the action as it happens and following it. And I love the way the sledgehammer breaks the frame to start the shot. It's, we found it on set, it wasn't conceived that way, that shot, but our incredibly talented camera operator, Pete Rosenfeld, kind of lined it up and just felt right. And again, it's a single take, so it's always nice when you can get it in one. So there are stunt doubles, one of our few stunt doubles for Ryan and Josh, I don't think you'd ever know, that wasn't the real guys.
Telephones. Shot this down on Santa Fe. Hey, hey. You down uh, by the LA River. And that really is City Hall in the background that yeah, we can we see. That was real. And uh, again, we had to destroy another Cadillac for this shot. A lot of people make fun of the guys walking away from explosions shot in this movie, but uh, there's a reason that people shoot those. And at least our guys turn around and look at the explosion. They don't not look at the explosion. They're just walking away from it because, you know, why would you walk towards an explosion? You gotta walk away from explosions. Kill them all. Kill their families. Their kids. Their dogs. Their cats. They're on the scent of El Dorado Trust. We cannot let that happen. Do you understand me? El... This set was a real... <laughs> I can't believe we actually shot in here. This we never should have shot in here. But um this was a real garage in Silmar. It was incredibly small and tight as you can see. It's the real dimensions of it. We we really should not have shot here. It was so tight. It had that incredible view of the hills that we'll see in the next scene where Ryan and Josh step out. And so we really wanted um that ability to see the hills and we also had such a tight schedule that we couldn't just get the exterior and not have something to shoot on the interior so we just went ahead and used this garage as our set but it was a really cramped and uncomfortable three days in Silmar. I don't know. They haven't said a thing. Well, we gotta find it. Yes, we do. But in a way it was good just because this really was the squad's hangout and uh, these guys were stuck together in a room. This was the real sunset. We didn't enhance it. Uh, we just got incredibly lucky this day when it was time to shoot. The sky was magical. Ask her. And uh, well, I, I love uh, the way it looks, but most people probably guess that you know, we enhanced that sky, but that's you truly how it was. The only thing we did with visual effects of that shot was like there are a lot of modern buildings on the ground that we had to clean up to make it look less, um, less populated. But it's those hills over Ryan's shoulder as to why we shot here, just because it's hard to represent L.A. before, you know, it all got developed. But these were still vacant, those hills. This was the scene I was talking about that we moved the location. Another one that we kind of found on set. Uh, Ryan and Emma had a really tricky job to try and realize this relationship just over like four or five scenes. You're supposed to invest in Grace and Jerry, but uh, as scripted, you know, there there wasn't a lot of material for them. It, it's a real subplot. I mean, it's the story of the Gangster Squad, and this is a subplot. And so Ryan and Emma were charged with trying to manufacture a really meaningful relationship with not a lot of time on screen together to do it and so over the process of shooting this scene we really got to see um how talented ryan and emma are because they found this in the moment the intensity the the kind of uh the battling the emotion all of this um we really worked through on the day, but I can give a lot of credit to Ryan and Emma for working together and figuring it out. Because it wasn't an easy scene to evoke this emotion without the supporting scenes to really um, necessitate it. And I'm really proud, of, again, of Emma just 
her ability to do drama. I think she's great in this moment, and uh, she's just not wrong, the most obvious I? choice for a more dramatic role. But I hope she goes in this direction and does more and more of it because she is so talented. Open to suggestions. Don't go. Don't let me. I love uh, the way this scene came together. It definitely wasn't scripted as them wearing towels and uh, and getting massages, but this was Sean's idea. He was just saying, like, if he knew gangsters back in the day, and basically when they weren't up to no good, they were just basically pruning themselves, primping themselves, getting ready for the weekend. So it was his idea that they all be in towels and getting massages and schwitzing and watching his old boxing footage and you know that's the joy of working with Sean Penny just brings so much to the table and uh, we even got monogram towels that said MC on them for all the guys uh, that uh, Mary Zephyrs was able to pull together at the last minute but uh, yeah Sean's just ingenious like that this kid's really good uh, I think we'll see in a later scene with Josh just his range but He's about as cute as you could hope Go for. Go tell your mom that. So, the first one specific telephone, the second one... There's a little hinge. He'll watch an adjustment there on that shot that always bugged me. During the tutorial. This was on Palmetto Street in downtown L.A., which... I shot one of my very first music videos on the same street, so I was really proud to return here. Going back to my roots. I did not think of that. And again, we just get to see the squad working as a unit, and they each bring something to the table, and obviously Keeler's the, uh, the real electronics wizard. Remember, 75 was something that we always joked about, because I think Giovanni came up with them the day, because there was no real point to what he was doing. He was like, remember 75, and what does 75 mean? I don't know, I don't think anyone knows, but, uh... And it all kind of works its way out in the wash. This was shot the same night as that big opening shot with uh, Ryan coming down the street, the Warner. We did that at the beginning of the night, and then we did this scene on the end of the night. And had to use some VFX to clean up the buildings on the left there were added in post. This woman is just such a talent. I mean, she uh, does an incredible job lip-syncing Portuguese uh, song by the great Carmen Miranda, but also just the dance, the smile, she just looks amazing. And so, this whole sequence was conceived as using the Chicka Chicka Boom song as the soundtrack for um, them taking down Mickey Cohen's operations. So it was always intended to have the song play through as kind of the soundtrack. And then our composer Steve Tablonski came in and kind of weaved in his own score to kind of heighten the song in certain places. This guy, Derek, played the big clown in Zombieland. Derek Graff, I was glad to get him back in this movie. Um, his dad's a really big stunt coordinator and he used to play football for USC and is just a great guy. And so it's nice to be able to work with the same people again. And this is a, another shot I'm really proud of just because it is all in one. Um, you really see the squad working as a unit and just the choreography of the 
steady cam with all those guys is is really nice. There's a nice energy to this whole sequence. I worked with the same editor, Alan Baumgarten, on all three movies, and this sequence has a really nice flow to it. I think you can get the rhythm of the this of the action, but also the rhythm of the song working together really well with the visuals um, and the action. It's a testament to his talent. But we on this movie, we had another additional editor come in and help us out. This guy called James Herbert from London who'd cut some of the Sherlock Holmes movies and it was nice to kind of have two perspectives on the film and combine their talents to get the best version of everything. Uh, I hadn't worked with two editors at the same time before but it really uh, it was a good one just because this movie is so big and has so many different pieces to it it was good to get some extra help. This was shot in that same location where they had just busted up and the art department only had one night to turn over from the working Slapsy Maxis to the burnt down Slapsy Maxis. So a crew came in, we shot all through the day and then a crew came in overnight and made it look like it had been burnt down and then we shot the very next day. So they worked all, all around the clock to put this together. You notice that deputy there, we'll see him later in the movie, he was an extra that had another appearance as a cop in that final fight sequence with Josh and Sean. You will find the cock stuckers and keep this to me! You will find them! I love the supporting cast in this movie. All their faces. Like that guy, Nettie Herbert, played by Evan. Uh, in the background, smiling. He's, he's just got a great face and was another just good addition to the, the cast. Oh my god. Sure? It's not good right now. Oh. Sarge, come here for a second. Come on, everybody. Come on, Sarge! We had a version of this scene where they all start singing at the end. Uh, it was Ryan's idea that they sing the song, we'll, we'll follow the old man wherever he may go. It was a song from, I think, White Christmas or... And I forget which movie. And so we have a take of this where all the guys are singing that we had in the movie for a while, but it didn't make it into the final version. It's a little too goofy, all the guys singing together. This is another nice single shot. Nothing fancy, but again, just being able to just watch Sean Penn be in the moment as we push in on him. You can really just see his mind working as Cohen putting the pieces together. The cops. Uh, you know, I intended this as a single take, slow push in, and Chief Parker, Sean's just so fun to watch. I've had it with that I love it. He can hold a camera like no one else. Boozer. He's done. We never had that kind of trouble before. Trust me, Carl. I bought myself enough cops. I know what I'm talking about. These guys are a special brand. They're hard cases, not interested in money. Cop is not for sales like a dog with rabies. There's no medicine for it. You just gotta put them down. <laughs> Somebody peached to them. 
we shot this um, in this, you know, I think it's a $17 million mansion or something like that. And the homeowner was really generous with us, and we had that scene where he had to break all that stuff and throw things around. But for whatever reason, the one day that the the homeowner w- was there and wanted to watch us shoot was the scene where Sean had to smash all that stuff up. And uh, I was so nervous he was just going to throw us out. So there you can see our garage in Silmar. Giovanni's character, Keeler, is kind of the conscience of uh, the gangster squad. Oh, wait, you gotta hear this. And, uh, you know, I think the theme of this movie is that, like, uh, how far, as a good guy, are you willing to go to take down the bad guys? And if you go too far, do you become a bad guy yourself? Um, in simplest terms. And so, I think this is where Giovanni's character is kind of the conscience of the gangster squad, is questioning the methods of uh, of Brolin's character, Omera, and wondering if they're going too far. And the intention of this ambush is that, you know, obviously Cohen's found their bug, he's setting them up, and um, the idea is that Omera's unwillingness to stop results in... You know, in in terms of loss, and so Giovanni's warning him like uh, we sh- we shouldn't be going about it this way, and Omer disregards and stops at nothing to get his guy. All right, look, I need you on the wire tonight, okay? Oh no, 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 no! no, no, no. In case no, no, no. Cohen has a change of plan, it's all right, Con. You sit this one out. We can handle it. All right? Okay. This is a a real restaurant in downtown Los Angeles called Clifton's Cafeteria. It was built in the Depression. And um, it was a place where you could go if you had very little money. You could always get something warm to eat here. And they had two. One was a Polynesian-themed restaurant, and the other one was a... this one, which is kind of a Redwood National Park-themed restaurant, and there's really working waterfalls and animatronic bears, and uh, it really does look like this. So a lot of people might think that we built this crazy restaurant as a set, but in truth, uh, this is a classic uh, in downtown Los Angeles. These two guys, uh, Johnny Stampanato and Eddie Herbert, um, two great faces, and... Uh, Two great guys, two great actors. Did a great job in the film. Where is it? We uh, had to use this effect for these uh, acid uh, stained pants where they had dry ice kind of up their pant legs and they get turned on when uh, Ryan poured his stuff so the actual practical smoke would come out of their pants and we kept saying smoky pants, smoky pants on set and Ryan, of course trying to be very serious and caught up in the moment was really annoyed by everyone talking about smoky pants the whole time so it was really hard to deliver the performance when all anybody could talk about was smoky pants we get the shipment, it's over no more business a lot of civilians just go south let's make sure that doesn't happen come on Where's Waters? Wasn't my turn to watch him. 
We shot this around the corner from Slapsy Maxi's in an old sort of uh, bungalow apartment. Um, it's pretty period accurate. And uh, it was really rushed trying to get this whole scene. It's not a complex scene, Grace. but... Uh, Grace, come on in. There was a lot to be done in a little amount of time. Sullivan's, I think, really great in this, though. I gotta ask you a favor. I need you to get Gracie out of town tonight. Yeah. I can do that. Thank you. Here I go. Now this Chinatown sequence we shot in LA's own Chinatown. I was really proud to have a scene here because of the obvious associations with the classic Polanski film. Um, it also was a big set piece in Rush Hour. And we in fact had to repaint that building in the background of that last shot because it said uh, the name of the restaurant as seen in Jackie Chan's Rush Hour. So that wasn't very period accurate for 1949, so we had to transform that. We had about 300 extras for this sequence, an incredible job of production design, you know, turning, while it is built in the 30s and all pretty authentic, we had to do a lot of work, um, brought in so many of those lanterns, paint so many of uh, the exteriors of the buildings. But Chinatown, while it's a beloved place in Los Angeles and certainly a place I've been going for years, it's kind of fallen on harder times, so I think they were really happy. We did a lot to bring it back to life. We painted a lot of stuff and um, painted some murals, which you can see in the background that um, are all still standing today. In fact, all those lamp posts were green when we got there and we painted them red. And it was things like that, that if you go down there now, it kind of looks like it does in the movie. And we definitely transformed it a lot for this film. Lin's Chinese Laundry was a nod to our producer, Dan Lin, who uh, found the articles. Uh, that's really Ryan Gosling pulling that car up in a fury. And um, I love the suspense of this scene. This movie has a lot of different flavors, but um, the tension and suspense of this moment was definitely a nice uh, thing to have and nothing says suspense like little kids tossing firecrackers around always kind of makes for a little jumpier movie watching now we shot this film digitally and um, while I love the digital medium uh, the one thing it doesn't do very well is fire or explosions it just goes straight to white we had to paint black in a lot of that fire in the explosion uh, just because it completely clips and you don't have any detail. So a lot of this fire we had to put back in and post. Now this shootout that follows I think is so cool just because uh, seeing Troy with those double machine guns is like, I've never seen that in a movie before. I mean we've seen a million shootouts with Tommy guns but I think what both Will and I got really excited about was the idea of this one guy dying, falling into the other guy, 
and then him grabbing both machine guns and just the double that shot of Troy with the double Tommy guns just is such a classic movie moment to me. I love it. And that's our writer, Will Bell, who just got a knife in the chest. It's always fun when you can put people who worked on the movie in the movie. I think Will was really happy to be a gangster and real happy to get a knife in the chest. I love this getaway by Troy. This is just another classic movie moment. A gangster on a sideboard firing as they drive off into the smoky distance. Um, feels like a movie to me when I watch it. Oh, Jesus. Keeler. And this was really intense. We shot this in that garage in Silmar that I've so lovingly discussed. But um, Holt McAllany, who plays Cohen's goon. A hard part, a nine-year-old kid with a cash box trying to get from Broadway all the way to is an incredibly tough guy. I mean, he's physically incredibly imposing, but also um, just really intense and talented. And um, for this sequence, he wanted to do the fire on his back himself. And uh, so that this this is was a pretty intense thing to have a real actor choking out another real actor, and then he steps back into this fire, and it really did ignite. And the back of his coat uh, really did light. And in this shot, all those flames are real, and so that's the real actor with real flames on his coat. I just remember how intense it was. We only did two takes. was shot on this this is the only shot on the set where we actually shot it up that's a real house real squibs firing and then her down the hallway is a set the garden of Allah in real life is a uh, is no longer exists but it was this famous bungalow court and it had LA's biggest swimming pool and so this it was written that Grace lived at the Garden of Allah and um, the Joni Mitchell song where she, she says they paved down paradise and they put up a parking lot is a direct reference to when they tore down the Garden of Allah and it was at the corner of Crescent Heights and Sunset Boulevard and it's now a uh, mini mall but uh, we tried to at least acknowledge a lot of the details of LA's past um, and it was really important to have a swimming pool because of the shot when Sullivan gets shot and goes face first into the water. I really was excited to get the shot that we'll soon follow. I always pictured it kind of how it turned out. And it's really nice when you, when you're conceiving a film, picturing shots, and then when you actually get there to shoot it, usually it doesn't turn out the way you want it to. But when we see Sullivan go face first into the water and see Mickey over his shoulder through the water firing at him, that shot right there, it's exactly how we storyboarded it and exactly how I pictured it. And then I love when we cut back to it and the, the blood fills the screen with Mickey in the background. It's, it's uh, really satisfying when you can actually 
realize things the way that you intended them. Those uh, bottles, our set dressers were so exacting that all the the bottles on set uh, were actually period 1940s bottles, and no one would have guessed that Ryan, in the moment, was going to get really upset and smash the bottles. Dad. Damn it, John, don't do this! Stay out of it, Jerry! You just listen to me! I think this hit looks so real right here. It's hard to believe that, that they didn't actually connect, but uh, Josh and Ryan are that good, and we put in a really wet, smacking-sounding sound effect to help sell it, but uh, every time I watch that, I, it's hard to believe that they didn't actually connect. Supposedly Jay Leno and um, a bunch of other celebrities live right up the hill from where we were shooting this in Beverly Hills. Jay Leno even actually, when Emma was on his show, mentioned that he was aware of us filming down the street from him. But I know that they have a really tight curfew in Beverly Hills. And so we had to get that night shot exterior in a really limited amount of time. a nice misdirect you know we think the place has been shot up Josh comes home sees the blood and we assume that Connie's been killed and so um, we actually got applause in the theaters at this moment when uh, people realize that she's still alive and that in fact has given birth and uh, I think it works really well it's pretty unpredictable and uh, it's a pretty heartfelt moment Sean always felt like we should have a close-up of the baby, which probably would have been better, but we didn't, we didn't get that. But he thinks right there we should have cut to a POV of a cute little baby looking at his dad, but that's not the way it ended up. The papers are calling for... Again, yeah, Nolte just adds such weight in every scene that he's in. Um, and, you know, his voice is uh, so gravelly. He could start a cement factory, somebody once said. Um, but, you know, he really just, I think, is beaten. His character's beaten in this moment, and he knows that he's out of a job. And um, I think uh gives a really subtly emotional performance here. You served with distinction. I'm sorry, John. He won. Over the course of editing, you kind of try different things and try different scenes. And we had this is one of those scenes where it was in and then it was out and it was in and then it was out. Um, originally, there was dialogue between these two characters where the kid says, My dad's dead, isn't he? And then Josh gives him a nod. But in the end, we cut the dialogue and it made the scene more powerful with just a look. Um, you know, the unspoken 
okay. connection between them. And then this kid just delivered such an incredible uh, emotional performance. For a little kid to do that, uh, I think is really impressive. This was shot in the bowels of the real Union Station the same day as that opening scene where we meet Racine and O'Mara for the first time. And uh, we had to ADR this whole scene because obviously it's so loud in uh, Union Station we couldn't use any of the sound. But it looks so cool. Quality of the shot right here. I think, you know, her and silhouette and the way the lights reflect on the walls. Uh, you know, Dion's a maestro. And this, this shot certainly explains why. I love that wide shot of him by the tree. Kind of sums it all up. Would be a great still photo. Now, this we didn't do a lot of reshoots with this movie. This was one of the only ones where Josh originally had one speech. Um, and we came up with a new version of that one. And so this was a reshoot that we did after the fact. But what's interesting is that we also reshot Emma's part. And she wasn't able to be there the night that Ryan and Josh were there. So we had to do this on two separate nights. Might as well be Nicky Cohen. You're a good man, John. Might even be a fucking angel. But so when Emma shows up, uh, previously she just walked down the road and uh, we didn't kind of know where she off. came from, so we decided that we'd have her exit a cab. You lose everything and you win the war, you're a hero. You lose everything and you lose the war. You're just a fool. And so, when she walks up here, Ryan's not actually opposite her. We had to do these in two separate parts, so... She's not talking to Ryan, and Ryan's not talking to her. But um, now we're back to the original scene that we shot where they're together. So sometimes you gotta just, um, you know, make the most of things. And in that case, uh, we had a simple thing. People didn't know where she came from. We shot two shots of her walking out of a cab, and it, and it helped uh, the storytelling a lot. What are you doing here? I saw Cohen kill him. Well, that's all the more reason for you to get out of here. No. This is where the tide turns. Um, Listen to me for once. I'm the Gangster Squad kind of finally has a way to take down Mickey Cohen. Up to this point, no one was willing to testify because they were worried that they would be killed or that the, you know, the, the court would... Uh, be corrupt and they wouldn't actually convict Cohen and so Excuse me. this was the key piece that was missing was a, a witness that was willing to testify and um, finally the gangster squad is able to do it the right way to take him down legally and to do it through a court of law and not 
not by fighting fire with fire. And so this is a real transition. What do you want? But I guess we get to have a firefight anyway. Another great character actor, John Aylward, um, you know, who showed up to be our judge. We meet him first in the club, uh, and then we see him again here. Where is he? He's holed up at the Park Plaza Hotel. Rented out every room in the place, and it's a fortress. You'll never get him out of there. Tomorrow they'll take my badge. We shot this at the real city hall exterior. That's the LA Times building over Josh's shoulder, and that's the real city hall over the guy's shoulder. It's kind of neat to get to feature all this deco architecture, and it's just um, perfect that they were right opposite each other, that we had two amazing backgrounds uh, for this sequence. I love that shot, seeing the city hall big and wide. This was shot on location at the Park Plaza Hotel in the lobby. We built this set as like Mickey Cohen's suite. Who's gonna serve it? Five guys? Forget it. They'll never get through the lobby. And so this Park Plaza Hotel was an actual hotel. It was originally built as an Elks Lodge or a Scottish Rite Temple or something. And then was turned into a hotel. Um, right on MacArthur Park on the edge of downtown LA. And it's been vacant for the last uh, while, but it's uh, used a lot for filming. If you actually watch like um, Wild at Heart where Nicolas Cage steps to, stomps out that guy on the stairs, it's the, our same stairs and I've shot loads of music videos and stuff in here, but I don't think it's ever quite looked like this. Okay, to return it to its former glory. The fork callback is to the original scene where Emma tells him about the fork, and that was the line that Sean came up with on the set and uh, always gets a laugh. We got a better idea, coppers. Why don't you take your guns and shove them up your asses? You call it, Sarge. I'll talk a little bit about the action in this movie. Um, we had an amazing stunt coordinator, Doug Coleman, who helped us figure out all the choreography of these action sequences. Um, you know, Will writes incredibly detailed about how things, uh, he pictures them in his mind. And what was neat about this sequence especially is that um, once we chose the location, we rewrote all the action for the sequence. So me and Will and Doug Coleman and our storyboard artist would go down to um, the Park Plaza and actually map out the action so that in the script it reflected as well as possible what our attention was for when we finally got to shoot. Um, the, uh, the neat thing about this interior is with all this shooting, all the blood and all the wall being shot up uh, and most of the flowers being shot up is all done digitally. Um, no actual blood was spilt, no, no squibs were shot off, and um, because it's a historic big building that's protected, we couldn't really rip up the interior of the, of, of the Park Plaza. The only thing right here where Josh goes down, those wood chips we hid behind the banister, but those were the only practical elements. All the floor getting shot up, um, some of those flowers are real. It was Ryan's idea to do that upside down, which I think is a great one. 
Um, but so in this next bit, we all these things popping up as he ducks behind, all these columns getting shot up. They're all done in visual effects. Hammerhead worked, you know, for months making those look perfect. And when I watch it with my eye, I can't even tell that it's fake. I mean, it just looks so real. We would fire these um, paintballs, basically, that were filled with dust hits. And so we did have some atmospheric dust that was real. And almost all of these hits are done in post, including the blood here, you know, that's done in post. We did use real squibs on Troy for these shots, but they were enhanced uh, digitally with the blood. Um, I love that big window that he falls down under. Elmer's got a plane waiting in Burbank, but we need to leave now, Mick. Okay, get my tie on! My fucking tie's straight. I'm gonna go out there in the fucking public. Alright! I'm alright. Hold on. Ah. Originally there was a scene set at Olivera Street, which is definitely on the deleted scenes, where Cohen and Omera meet for the first time, but in the Finnish vision version of the movie, this is all done digitally right here. That hit, <laughs> which I love, uh, that's all fake blood, and even in these shots, the continuity of all that blood is done. Uh, with visual effects. But so this is, we made it so this is the first time they meet and they come firing at each other. I love the idea of this extended moment. I mean, in real life, this would be like a five second thing. And so I love just making a meal out of it. And uh, we shot this with a combination of the Phantom and um, some other slow-mo cameras, I think film even for this. Um, and I just love seeing stuff blow up in slow motion. That uh, ornament was done entirely in CG, um, which is pretty cool because it looks so real. Um, but I love just heightening that moment and making it almost like a music video. Uh, in my head, when I conceived it, it was intended to be like a Christmas song playing when they start firing at each other. And we tried everything from Silent Night to Here Comes Santa Claus, and uh, none of them worked, so we ended up just scoring it. In this uh, car chase bit, um, you know, Josh did almost all of his stunts, and uh, the only thing I think that isn't actually Josh in this movie is this moment where he dives on the car. Other than that, every single stunt Josh did, I think, in it himself, he's just an incredibly physical guy, strong and uh, tough. But there, right there, I think, is the only time that's not the real Josh Brolin in the movie. This wrestling was done on a green screen and then composited to make it look like they're on the back of the car. Um, and that fountain doesn't exist in real life. We had to build that giant fountain. And I don't know how many gallons of water it took to fill it up, but uh, we built that whole thing. This was a real satisfying moment in the movie where Robert Patrick, I mean, in his last dying breath, takes out Holt. Not where the son bitch is, goddammit. Where he's gonna be.
And then we get that classic father-son moment between these two guys, and uh, it's a real testament to the talent of these two actors, just uh, the emotion in this scene. I mean, it's pretty incredible in the midst of a really rambunctious third-act climax that uh, we can have this touching, heartfelt moment between these two actors. Now, this fist fight... Um, Sean and Josh were both really excited for it from the very beginning. I mean, I remember, like, even before we started shooting, they always talked about this as being a big deal for both of them. So they spent weeks and weeks rehearsing this fight, which we shot over the course of three nights. Um, we basically wouldn't start shooting the fist fight until midnight because of noise restrictions in Los Angeles. You have to stop shooting machine guns at midnight. And so we would do our machine gun shooting on the top of the hill up until midnight, and then we'd come down the hill from midnight till six in the morning to shoot the fist fight because it was a lot quieter. So you gotta appreciate the fact that they're doing this incredibly physical, violent fight between midnight and six in the morning when it was freezing in Los Angeles, it's wet, uh, you know, incredibly intense choreography, um, and they had to memorize all these hits, and even though it looks like they're smashing each other, they're never actually connecting, and we had to develop their makeup throughout the course of the fight so they each get bloodied and more bloodied and bruised throughout the course of it, and uh, so there's just so much work that went into this, but, you know, Lethal Weapon's an amazing movie and it has an amazing fist fight in the end, also featuring water. And I think that we definitely wanted to beat Lethal Weapon as far as just a knockdown, drag out fight to the finish. And I'm really proud of this fight. Uh, it's a testament to Josh and Sean and Doug Coleman and all the rest of our fight coordinators on how hard they work to make this uh, really great. It's a nice sort of like bookend to the movie. We set up the fact that Mickey's a boxer and uh, Josh tells us that he's ready to step in the ring. And I think it's really great that in the end of the movie we actually get to see them go head to head and um, definitely with audiences this seemed to be everyone's favorite scene. And then we have a pretty abbreviated uh, coda at the end of the movie that just kind of wraps up each of our characters. Um, certainly Mickey Cohen, who goes to jail. In real life, Mickey did go to Alcatraz, but it was for tax evasion, not for first-degree murder. This is true about Parker as far as being police chief in LA and they did take credit for the fact that um, organized crime was never featured in Los Angeles and the Gangster Squad uh, was pretty uh, unknown in LA they were the unsung heroes just like the thousands who walk their beats every day maybe without glory but with pride and honor we brought Cohen in but it was Grace's shot this at Griffith Observatory well, you can't really After see it in the trial, background. It was a, a pretty go. amazing location to get to shoot at. And that sunset also is real. We did slight enhancement with the color, but 
we got lucky on that day as well. And then we shot this out in Malibu. Um, the same day that we shot the Hollywood sign scene. So we started our day. This was our longest day of shooting. Where we shot this scene with Murray and Josh at the beach. And then we drove up to a parking lot in the hills of Malibu where we built that Hollywood sign set. That's the opening scene with Sean. And then the final shot of this movie is kind of neat because we shot it with the remote control helicopter. Uh... That was really small, like a kind of like a, a hobby enthusiast size helicopter with a camera mounted on it. It just was remote controlled and flies off into uh, the sunset. So that's Gangster Squad. Thanks for watching. Um, I'm really proud of the movie and, and uh, really love it. I consider myself so lucky to have worked with all these amazing actors and all these amazing craftspeople behind the camera. Um, our writers, our producers, um, and of course Warner Brothers for giving me the opportunity. It was a, a dream come true getting to work on this film and I'm, I'm really proud of it and grateful for anyone who listened to the end of this thing. Hard to believe you did, but uh, thanks for checking it out and uh, I'll see you next time. But the road behind is bound to be worse If you close your eyes, you won't see the sunshine If you plug your ears, you won't hear a thing And if you shut your heart, you'll shut out the feeling And there'll never be any reason to sing Bless you, yes, bless you, yes, bless you, yes, bless you. That frown don't set right, get right up and shout comes around today turn it right around and chase it away bless you yes, for the good you. that's in you bless you every day around today turn it right around and chase it away bless you yes, for the good you. that's in you bless you every day